joined me this morning in welcoming Dr. Peter Reed to speak with us today at ABC. Thank you so much. Great to be here. This is my first time in kind of the new the new dig, so this is awesome. Really great. And uh, we'll just continue to pray that the outside gets as finished as the inside. Maybe that's a sensitive subject. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, it's just a it's a real privilege to be here. <clears throat> Talk about tackling A, a familiar passage, and B, an important passage, this one. I notice it's the last few words at the end of Matthew's Gospel, and seems like in the Bible and, and in other places as well, closing words are really important words, particularly if they're closing words of Jesus. And so I want to just take a few minutes this morning, and, and that's my, my biggest struggle is to try and do this in a short period of time. Um, I, I felt prompted to kind of go back into this passage this fall, and I, I committed all the cardinal sins of preachers. There just was way too much here to try and do in one message, and yet I am going to attempt to do that and cram some things in. So it might be more like kind of a, a, a Bible study. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, mountains. Now, let's see if I can get this right. Nope, going the wrong way. All right, we'll try this. Mountains uh, can be significant places spiritually. Uh, I had a privilege, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad and I'm sad about Michael Fredericks moving from Perth Andover to Emmanuel Truro because I love that church and I'm really happy he's the new pastor there. But when he was in Perth Andover pastoring, one year I got an invitation to go and speak at a retreat that they were doing. It's the highest point in New Brunswick, Mount Carlton. <clears throat> and uh, they stay, the entire church and and most of the Harvest House people come and stay in these log cabins in the provincial park in September. And one of the, the great fun things to do on that weekend is to do a hike up the mountain. Now, there's two mountains, Mount Sagamook and Mount Carlton. This happens to be Mount Carlton. This was my last trip up. The first two times we went up uh, Mount Sagamook, which is not as high a mountain, but it's a harder climb. But it is fun, and I don't think we were even quite on the top of the mountain there. But you can see Quebec, uh, you're right at the very end of what my dear friends south of the border would call the Appalachian Trail, not the Appalachian Trail that we <laughs> tend to call it. But it's kind of the very end of the Appalachian Trail. These are kind of the, the, the end of the, Appala the Appalachian Mountains. And it is significant. There's something that happens when you're... You're high up looking over this expansiveness. There's a sense that you, you understand your own mortality, you understand your own kind of smallness, and maybe you get an opportunity to understand something about the expansiveness of creation and of God. And so mountains are significant places. I just want to begin with that because this calling that took place, uh, I do have... One, one other picture. By the way, the person with me is Dr. David Bell. He's a uh, longtime member of Perth Andover. He's a medical doctor, and he loves to hike. And he prepares and takes us on these hikes. Uh, and you know what? He's got a nice pair of gloves on. He bought gloves for everybody because he knew there's places where you got to climb over some rocks. And uh, he just loves doing this. And so I, I was excited when Michael first invited us. And I remember it's one of those few times I went home after the weekend and started praying, Lord, 
let him ask us to do this next year. And so we did it three years in a row. And now Mike has moved on, so no invitations. Uh, but it's an awesome place. But the, the first thing I want to just say to you is that in this passage, the place of calling is up. It's on a mountain. Did you notice that? They went to the mountain. Jesus had already prearranged to meet them at this place on the mountain. That's where the calling, and it's what we call the Great Commission. That's probably what you've heard it as, the Great Commission. But I don't want to use that language today. I'd like to avoid that language. Sorry, Joel, you've got to hear this again. He's already heard this. I apologize. I was, I was almost glad that you weren't here. I thought, oh, shoot. Now, now he's got to hear it again. Darn. Anyway, the calling is always up. There's a sense in Matthew's gospel that mountains are very significant places. If you remember, in the very beginning, where was Jesus tempted? He was tempted up on a mountain. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that we love to read and is so powerful. It's that Sermon on the Mount. The Transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration took place on a mountain. And all through Matthew's Gospel, uh, finally, the, his final discourse, the Mount of Olives. So mountains are pretty significant places, but as you notice, all through the Bible, mountains are kind of significant places, right? Where did Moses receive the tablets and the law? It was up on Mount Sinai. Uh, Elijah had this amazing encounter with God on a mountain. So mountains are very significant spiritually, and I think that's why this sort of grabbed me again this year, was just looking at this and seeing that this is a significant place. Something important is really happening here. Uh, when Jesus prearranged and met them on the mountain, this is following his crucifixion, following the, the passion, the terrible suffering, the horrible death on the cross, and his resurrection. He's been uh, around now for about 40 days since the resurrection. A lot of things have been happening. Jesus has been showing up and, and revealing himself again to his disciples. They're still struggling. They're wondering what is really happening here and, and, and why, why is this happening the way it's happening. And Jesus is meeting them, I think, to give some final instructions before he leaves. Mountains tend to be places when God is involved where worlds are shaken and where paradigms are shifted. And Jesus met them on the mountain. Then the next thing you notice in this passage is after he calls them to the mountain, uh, notice it says that they worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. And, and the word here translated worshipped is literally they prostrated themselves before the Lord. Here they are worshiping Jesus as God. This is one of the, the times that they're starting to get a handle on who he really is. And it says they literally prostrate themselves before Jesus and they begin to worship him. But notice it also says that some of them doubted. The word could mean hesitated or hesitation. There's a sense that, that they, they want to worship him. They want to accept who he is. But some are struggling still. There's just been so much has happened. It's absolutely rocked their worlds. And they're wondering, is this really the Messiah? Is he really the person that we should be worshiping? Now, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in life and in faith, there are the early adopters and the late adopters. There are those who, who they believe easily. They just get it, and they, they seem to be able to take things on and understand it and grasp it, and they're good to go. You know, those are the folks that... Sorry, I'm a baby boomer, so sometimes when I sing songs, it's songs that are like, 
you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It's that sense that they just get it. And we need people like that. We need people who believe, who seem to, to grasp and understand, not just understand, but then walk in faith and say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He is who He said He was. But I'm so glad that they're not the only ones that were, are in this story. That there were those who doubted. There were those who had hesitation. There were those who had questions. There are those who struggled. They want to believe, but they're struggling. And they're not sure if they can really believe this. It's, it, there are people that question everything. And I've met people like that. And, and I am thankful to God for people like that. Those who struggle with questions. Struggling to make sense of it all. Find it difficult to believe. One of my favorite Christians in the world is Frederick Buechner. And Buechner was one such Christian. He was a, he's an author. He's a professor. He was a reluctant pastor, I think, in the Presbyterian movement. And yet he struggled. And even when some of his students would try to put him on the spot and say, you've got to be more certain about these things. And he made this statement that I absolutely love. Let's see if I can get it here. Okay, uh, I love what he said. He said, <clears throat> without somehow destroying me in the process, how could God reveal himself in a way that would leave no room for doubt? If there were no room for doubt, there would be no room for me. Here's someone who followed Christ, who loves Christ, but he struggles with questions and with doubt and with wondering. And, and even after many, many years of following, folks, we need both kinds of people. I want you to know, this is, the, this is the 11, right? These are the people Jesus is about to send out to take this gospel to the entire world to turn things upside down or more rightly right side up. And yet some of them still had hesitation and doubt and questions. But I got to tell you, some of those same people were the early martyrs in the church. They were followers of Jesus. And I'm glad we have examples of both. It's a wonderful word of reassurance for those who maybe struggle with questions. But then Jesus engages them in this critical conversation. It's amazing. Stop and look at it. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now go and make disciples. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now go. What does it mean he was given all authority? There's a sense in which... They've been called up to the mountain to accept this incredible commission and mission from God. Now Jesus says, I've been given all authority, but I want to just say to you today that as I looked at this again, I began to understand that what he was literally saying to them was that his ministry, his authority, the power in Jesus Christ has direct proportion to his suffering and condescension. You see, he could say, I have all authority because he suffered everything. He gave his life. It was self-sacrificing love that nailed Jesus to the cross. Now you know that early Christian hymn, don't you? Well, some think it was just Paul writing or maybe it was Paul quoting an early Christian hymn in Philippians 2. And I, I hope, uh, let me just... Go to this. This is a, that little section in chapter 2 begins at about verse 5. And there's this amazing passage that I think is one of the most powerful passages in the entire New Testament. Uh, 
And, and just a snippet out of that, it says of Jesus, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name. It is, a, it is a sense that as He emptied Himself, as He gave Himself, as He sacrificed Himself, now, therefore, He is exalted to the highest place. There are those who have argued about that passage in Philippians 2 for a very long time here at seminary. And there's a lot of discussion about that word emptying. What did he empty himself of? Did he empty himself of his divinity or not? Well, I'm happy to say that I've fallen on the side with some friends, or at least I found some friends that like my (laughs) point of view. And I may be wrong, We, we could argue that, but uh, I'm in pretty good company. I heard Daryl Johnson years ago preach on this passage, and I was very impressed with where he landed. And I don't know if he and N.T. Wright have been talking, but they both kind of hit the same place. And N.T. Wright says of this, he says, this is what it is meant to be equal with God. As you look at the incarnate Son of God dying on the cross, the most powerful thought you should think is, this is the true meaning of who God is. He is the God of self-giving love. Simply what he's saying is, Jesus was never more like God than when he died on the cross in self-sacrificing love. That's what God is like. God is self-sacrificing love. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. Just just an illustration, if I could, for a minute of that kind of self-sacrifice. If I could give you a little bit more of a modern illustration. Uh, In 2005, I had the amazing privilege of being invited by Canadian Baptist Ministries to go with a group of pastors to El Salvador. It was the 25th anniversary of the assassination of Archbishop Romero. This is Romero in his little room. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but he had this little tiny space Here's the archbishop, and he lived in abject poverty. He lived with the sisters at this little hospital, a little hospitalito in San Salvador. And he had one little tiny room where he would broadcast his sermons daily, and another little tiny room where this hard little tiny cot, I would call it, not really a bed, and, and a little closet where there was maybe two or three robes hanging, his old black robes and whatever clothing he owned. And... Uh, Romero was bishop in El Salvador, and many of the poor people were grieved when it was announced that he was going to become archbishop. Because Romero was seen as to be friends with the wealthy, and 14 families basically owned the country and and totally uh, uh, oppressed the poor farmers, the poor campesinos in El Salvador. And they were worried about... Romero, because he was friend to the wealthy, he was this shy, timid, bookish man of prayer. And they thought, he'll never stand up for us. No one will speak for us now because Romero is the archbishop. Just another picture of him a little bit more in color, at least. Um, But something happened to Romero. When his friend Rutilio Grande was murdered, Grande was a Jesuit priest, One day he was driving in the countryside in a jeep with a a little boy with him, and they were ambushed, and they shot and killed both Grande and this little boy, were murdered for no good reason at all, except that they were standing up for the poor. 
And Romero was his close friend and went to preach at his funeral. And when he went to the funeral, all the people there said something happened to Romero. There was a transformation. There was like, they actually called it a conversion happened to Romero in the middle of that sermon, talking about his friend, Rutilio Grande. And it changed. From that day on, he went on the radio every day. Instead of preaching his normal sermons, he named the names of the disappeared. By the way, in this awful war uh, that began about 1980, 81, somewhere in El Salvador, a civil war, 75,000 people disappeared, were murdered. Many of them never found. Uh, it, was, it was horrendous. And these little grandmothers would come to Romero and say, you have to... You have to speak out. You have to speak out for our people. You have to name them. And he would go on the radio day after day after day, and he would name the disappeared and the murdered. He would name them and say, these are the people. These are your people. And many of the soldiers were just poor people themselves, but they were, uh, they were promised money. They were promised good, uh, good salaries if they would serve in the army, and yet they oppressed and tortured and killed their own people trained by the CIA, by the way. And the day before Archbishop Romero was assassinated, he went on the radio, and this is what he said. I just want to quote something that he said. He said, we are your people. The peasants you kill are your own brothers and sisters. When you hear the voice of the man commanding you to kill, remember instead the voice of God. Thou shalt not kill. In the name of God, in the name of our tormented people whose cries rise up to heaven, I beseech you, I beg you, I command you, stop the repression. The next day as he was serving communion in that little tiny chapel, and I stood there by the altar where he fell, and he held up the chalice, to serve communion in a beat-up old station wagon pulled up in front of the open doors and a man got out and laid a high-powered rifle across the top of the station wagon and shot Romero through the heart. He dropped dead holding the chalice. It represents the suffering of Christ. i got to tell you, folks, that little trip uh, impacted my life. And you know what was really fun? We got to go later on. There were parades and parties. We, we were in on lectures there at the Catholic University. But then there were parades and tens of thousands of people filled the streets of San Salvador in a big celebration for Romero. You know, they mentioned the Pope. Yeah, a polite applause for the Pope, you know. They mentioned the government. Well, not so much applause at all. In fact, they sang songs about those people. Not very nice songs. But then Romero was mentioned, and the place came unglued, and people cheered, and they screamed, and they cried, and they clapped. And we were standing there thinking, this man has been elevated to a high place because of self-sacrificing love. In the kingdom of God, the way up is always down. It's just how it is. Now, how are we doing for time? I'm going to try and wrap this up. See, I didn't get to the, this part of the text that's so important where he says, now, now, now go. Go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And that's another whole sermon. That's a series of sermons in itself, right? Go make disciples, baptizing and teaching. And he go there to go to whom? 
If I heard Dr. Allison Trite say this once, I heard him say it a dozen times. To the pentatethne, as only Allison could do. And Dr. Roy Pointer liked to repeat that as well. To every people group, go. Regardless of who they are. This is not just for Jews. It's not just for Gentiles. It's not just for men. It's not just for the wealthy. This is for all people groups, this message. Go baptizing and teaching. To make disciples. Baptizing has the idea more of conversion and evangelism. We want that. My only little caveat I want to just throw a little jibe out there. I think that in North America, we've not had a good understanding as Baptists of what it means to be baptized. It's not just something you do as a lone individual who has accepted Christ. It's not just your testimony. It is something the church does to you as your initiation into this group who are being discipled and taught to be followers of Jesus. What do we teach? He says, teach them everything I've commanded you. Follow my ways. Live my life. And I don't have time to go into this, but in Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus was walking by, let me just, I got way behind my little, uh, oh, here we go. Whoop, let's go back one. As Jesus was walking by, this is Matthew's calling. As Jesus was walking by, he looks at Matthew and says, come follow me. So he knew what was in his heart already. And, and God was already involved in Matthew's life. And Jesus just called on it and said, come follow me. Come on. And what did he do? He invited him into his home as dinner guests. But he invited all his friends. Read it in the New Living. It's quite interesting. It was other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Basically, it was the people that the religious crowd had rejected. And said, they're not worthy. They can't come in here. He invited all his friends and Jesus and the disciples and they met together. And in that place of sharing at table and eating food and rubbing shoulders with one another and talking with Jesus, there was discipling happening. When I first became a believer, my discipling was so informal. I hung out with the pastor and his family. I hung out with them too much, by the way. I remember nights when they would say, well, dear, I think we better go to bed so Peter can go home and get some sleep. In fact, some nights he gave me his car. That's not a word of a lie. He'd say, take my car. It's a long walk home. He'd say, take my car. I'll get it tomorrow. But in every way, I was part of their family. I saw how they, they kind of interacted with one another, but there was this discipling. It was informal. But God was doing something in me through them. And we're called to that. I have to close. So I, there's just so much more there. But I'm going to try and close this way. I love that this book, Matthew, has lovely bookends. It begins and ends with the same promise. See, it doesn't end with the, with the commands. We, we've had the commands now. Go. That's our calling. That's who we've been called to, to go. Baptizing, teaching, making disciples. But he ends with this beautiful promise. In Matthew chapter 1, the message that comes to Joseph and out of the prophet Isaiah, what do we hear? He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
beautiful promise of God being with us. And how does this book end? We end with, uh, let me see if I can get to it, Emmanuel, God with us, but then with this, Jesus said to them, go, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I will be with you always to the end of the age. That includes you and I. That includes everyone who has ever named the name of Jesus and who has decided to be a follower of Jesus, a follower of this way. We are included in this incredible promise that one day, when the age to come swallows up this age, we will still be with Him and He will still be with us. We don't have to go it alone. We're not on our own doing this. We don't do it in our own strength. We have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to send us out. And so I only want to conclude with with this. If this is the Great Commission, and I think it is, are you willing to accept it? See, it's it's not a calling to be religious. It's not a calling to just propagate churchianity. It's a calling to be followers of Jesus, followers of the way. Do things a little differently. And I know you're already doing that. Let me encourage you and give you that promise. He said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God bless you.